Hi, and welcome back to And Then What Happens, the serial podcast featuring you. Hi, I'm Laura Mae Baker. And I'm Rich Wisniewski. Last week, you heard us, as well as Paul Jade Senna, creating an episode, and this week you get to enjoy the product of that. Uh, we have divided the episode up into three parts. I actually got to write the first part, Paul wrote the second part, and Rich wrote the ending. Yep, uh, so that's the process that we went with. We're keeping this super short because the episode is one of our lengthier ones. And uh, I'm sorry. Uh, if you want to find us on the social medias, at Chris Robinson on Twitter, at Wright Nesky on Twitter, at Rich Wisniewski on Twitter, at Polly D Says on Twitter, or... Oh, I'm on Instagram more than Twitter, so you can find me there, uh, lovely Laura May, and that's May with an E. And if this inspires you to write your own episode, just head on over to andthenwhathappens.com and fill out the form. And without further ado, we find out, and then, what happens? The day of McGrady's wedding, it was a balmy 72 degrees and sunny. It was towards the end of spring, just before all the kiddies got out of school for vacation, and the weather in Fort Lauderdale, while usually warm, was perfect, with not a cloud in the sky. McGrady straightened his bow tie in the mirror of his hotel room at the Pelican Grand Beach Resort and gulped. The hotel was fancier than what he was used to, but Donatella seemed to fit right in. Being the eldest girl in a generation of Veracruz cousins, there was no question that the wedding would be the event of the season. McGrady was nervous. Nomar put his hand on McGrady's shoulder and tousled his hair that he had spent 20 minutes styling earlier. Hey, McGrady said. I just got that right. <laughs> you worry too much, McGrady, Nomar said as he fluffed up McGrady's hair, already beginning to thin on the top. Who isn't nervous on their wedding day? Asked McGrady, smoothing his hair back down with some pomade. He had never worn a tux before and felt ridiculous. He turned to his friend and said, I look like a sick penguin. Nah, you don't. You look classy as hell, said Nomar. Besides, nobody's going to be looking at you once Donatella walks down the aisle. I heard her uncle paid for her dress along with the whole shindig. If I know Donna, she's going to look like a million bucks today and glittery as a diamond. You're one lucky guy, McGrady. Rich in-laws, gorgeous bride, and this hotel even has a lazy river. What more could a guy ask for? McGrady wasn't sure. He knew he loved Donatella more than the sun, the moon, and the stars. But marrying a Veracruz came with certain obligations. During his bachelor party, Cousin Miami had told him after the honeymoon to come see him about a job. McGrady didn't think a job with the Veracruz family would be simple, or even legal. He and Donna didn't even want to stay in Florida. She was excited to move up north, closer to McGrady's family in Boston. They had already signed a lease on a cute little bungalow-style house, and while it would be a step down for Donatella, she seemed to love the cramped little house with its second-hand couch. 
he had to figure out a way out of this job with the Veracruz cousins. But not today. Today, he was in a luxury hotel about to marry the prettiest girl on the East Coast. And for once, it didn't look like rain in Florida. It's time to go down, Mr. Groom, Nomar said, opening the hotel room door and guiding him down the lobby. McGrady was sweating profuriously. But as the two friends walked towards the private beach for the ceremony, he saw a gaggle of bridesmaids by the elevator surrounding Donna. The ladies gasped and giggled as they tried to hide the bride. McGrady could see voluminous white tulle peeking between the bridesmaid's satin skirts, and Donatella turned towards him and smiled. McGrady sighed with relief. There was his friend, his lover, his soon-to-be wife. She winked at him and then rolled her eyes at the pomp and circumstance surrounding her. McGrady laughed. He no longer felt nervous. He turned towards the beach, and the bright light of the sun shone in his face. Except this wasn't the beach, and the light shining on his head was not the sun. McGrady tried to sit up, but his body was strapped down to some sort of steel table. He looked around frantically and saw Donatella in the corner of the room. His eyes met hers. Donna, Donny, McGrady rasped. It hurt to speak. His throat was dry and felt full of cotton. His head swam as he looked up at his wife. Was she still his wife? They had a fight. Something awful had happened. As his memories returned to him, so did the physical pain in his body. He was sore and scraped up, but it was impossible to tell if anything was broken as he was unable to move. McGrady turned his head in the other direction, and there was Adam peering closely at him. Ah! yelled McGrady in surprise as the would-be scientist positioned the lamp, much like those used at the dentist, over his head. Finally awake, I see. Maybe we can get some work done now. Adam grinned in a sickening way. Now, I'm sure you are uncomfortable, but if you would indulge me a few more minutes of your time, McGrady, we can certainly get you set up in more comfortable quarters. I know you and Donatella must have a lot of catching up on. <laughs> Adam's giggle sounded like glass scraping over porcelain tiles and did nothing to help McGrady's throbbing headache. Grady frantically scanned the rest of the room. There was the pilot robot thing. Reg... something. And Ghost next to the mechanical man. McGrady's head was forcibly turned towards Adam again. Where is the safe, McGrady? Adam leaned closer, holding a scalpel close to McGrady's eye. How do we find the safe, hmm? clenched his teeth, and kept his mouth shut. Adam sighed. Looks like I may need to get more persuasive tools. McGrady is unusually quiet today. Donna, see if you can get him to see reason while I peruse my... 
collection. <laughs> Still giggling that horrible sound, Adam left the room. Donatella had not spoken yet, but rushed towards McGrady and picked up the scalpel. Donna, no! I know we have our troubles, but baby, please! McGrady begged as she brought the instrument down and cut his straps loose. Do you know me so little after all these years? I would never cut you. McGrady had forgotten how melodic her voice could be. She was older now, but still beautiful, and her piercing blue eyes looked deep into his as she helped him up. Donna, how are you here? What's happening? I haven't spoken to you since our son. And your accident. How? How? We don't have time to answer your questions. I have to get you out of here now. You have to get that snow globe. The snow globe? McGrady's head was still fuzzy, but it all clicked, and he laughed. Is that what Adam is after? Well, he wants the safe, and the snow globe's the key. So yes. Donna hurried, limping over to a closet, and pulled two scuba suits and air tanks. <laughs> well, joke's on him. I don't have it on me. I think he realized that. Donatella said smirking as she looked McGrady over. McGrady blushed and realized he had been stripped down to his boxers, so of course Adam would know if the snow globe was with him. Now quick, get into this suit before Adam and his goons come in here. A scuba suit? It's been 20 years since I wore one of these. McGrady complained, but began to step into the suit as Donna shimmied into hers, the material clinging to her body which was looking fit as the day they had met. It'll be just like Cancun. Donatella smiled at him and helped pull McGrady's zipper up. Her eyes darted back and forth to the door. I doubt that. McGrady's tone was jovial but his heart ached. Cancun had been a wonderful family vacation, all of them together, swimming in the ocean, kids included. They'd been so small back then, but it'd been so easy. Footsteps could be heard coming towards the door. Donatella quickly finished gathering him up and handed him the breathing apparatus and tank. Go now, my love. I'll be right behind you. We'll get out of this together. Donatella suddenly turned and kissed him passionately on the lips, very quickly, and popped his goggles on his head. She still tasted like candy due to her lip gloss and smelled like Chanel Number no. 5, her favorite. McGrady's mind flooded with memories, longing for days past as Donna shoved him into a doorway. Up the ladder and open the latch. We should be due east from the docks. Just swim towards them and you'll be fine. Donatella gave him a gentle push into a small round room with a ladder leading up to more darkness. McGrady ascended the ladder as he heard shouting below him. Why had Donna saved him? Did she still love him? Questions swam in his mind, but there was no time for them to fully form. He thought he could hear ghosts shouting. He had forgotten she was there, too. A gunshot rang out. Did, did someone get shot? Was Donna okay? Finally, he reached what looked like an airlocked door and 
paused as he saw Donna enter the tube with a brief glimpse of light as the lower door opened. Thank the gods she was safe. Donatella closed the latch as she entered, clicking a heavy lock behind her as he heard the gun clatter to the ground as she climbed up the ladder behind him. Who did she shoot? The Grady hoped it was Adam and not Ghost, which surprised him. Ghost was not a friend, so why should he care what happened to her? McGrady could feel Donatella behind him, breathing quietly, as the footsteps came closer to the latched door. He could hear banging and rattling as angry men tried to pull the door open. Donatella squeezed his hand tightly when she reached the top of the ladder and opened the outer portal of the submarine. He could feel Donna's hand pulling him. Dark waters were nearly impossible to see through, but he swam east and up as muffled noises followed. They were definitely being chased, but Grady had felt a shift in the current and pulled Donatella to him as a harpoon whizzed by their heads. He kicked up and out, pulling Donna with them. Zigzagging, his various weapons were launched at them. After ten minutes, the harpoons in their irk had stopped. It must be out of reach of Adam's crew. Grady took the opportunity to kick fast and head due east with his former wife in tow. As they neared the surface, he could see city lights and hotels as blurry lights through the water. After what felt like an eternity, they emerged out of the water and lifted themselves onto the dock, both breathing heavily. We did it! Woohoo! shouted McGrady. Things were starting to look up. Now he just had to find the Cobra. snap open with a start and I'm driving. It looks like out west. Somewhere. Big sky country. But it's not that. It's not where the safe is. That's not where he likes it. Donatella is with me, but I don't look. Not yet. I'm still feeling groggy from the getaway or whatever the hell that psychopath Adam stuck in my veins. I keep my eyes on the road. The white lines zip underneath the car as I keep my sweet old baby at a comfortable 75. The mile markers flash past 45 with comforting regularity. It's almost enough to put a man to sleep, while with the mountains looming in the distance against a sky pink with the early morning light. Nobody on the road. The perfect time for driving. I finally look over at Donatella, and I'm not disappointed. Her hands are folded patiently, and she's staring straight ahead, her expression inscrutable. She doesn't look at me, but I don't mind. I like her like this, in perfect profile. Being with her, raising my son, it had always made me feel like I was more than what I was. I suppose it's only right that she's here with me. But back there she did... Whatever it was she did... God, my mind is hazy. The safe was her idea, after all. She needed me, then, to secure for herself 
the guarantee of a life worth living. I still need her. She turns to me and smiles. Perfect. She caresses my hand on the steering wheel as the white lines tumble past, racing each other into oblivion. Perfect. I'm home. Almost. Blink. I have no idea how long I've been driving. Donatella is still in the passenger seat, but she's sleeping now, curled up against the window, her calm, measured breathing still audible over the steady wash of the car along the road. Where are you going? The whisper comes out of the recesses of my mind, and it, it's her, but at the same time not? I know that now. I think it was her. Are our past selves us? Are our future selves more us than we are now? You're not hardly Alice. You're much more Alice now than you used to be. After Adam, am, am I still more or less myself? If not, which way am I drifting? And can I bet on when I'll get there? Who am I? McGrady. 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 I begin repeating it like a Hindu mantra, with all the fervor of the zealots outside the temples. It becomes a drumbeat in the back of my mind, tethering me to the here and now, or at least I hope so. McGrady. 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 Tracy McGrady. Loads of talent. Who'd he play for? The Rockets. That's who I remember him from. Remember when you lost me that game? I had $500 bet on you, you sack of shit. Hit your throws. No wonder you've got no titles. All alone. Isolated. On an island. A lot like me. One guy can't do it all. Beyond the mountains loom. No closer than before. A trick of extreme distance. High clouds still play about far off peaks. I pass another mile marker. Misreading it another. 45. Huh. I look over at Donatella. She's awake, staring straight ahead. I hadn't heard her get up. She turns to me and smiles that perfect smile again, and then caresses my hand on the steering wheel as I watch the white line zip underneath. Just like before. I'm losing time. I don't know how much or how often, but I know I'm losing time. The clock on the console blinks 12, and a quick glance tells me Donatella is curled up against the window, asleep. I know whatever Adam stuck in me must have messed me up good. The sky, the road, even my hands, I feel like it's all a movie, and I'm the only one watching. I haven't seen another car yet, but I might have and just don't remember it. I flip on the radio, hoping that maybe that'll help keep me grounded right here and now. And after some... I settle on some golden oldies dumping ground playing Johnny V and the Shandenkins only hit record, Why Anyone Would Listen to This, which featured a B-side that went nowhere. We should probably stop recording.
I punch the seek and let it ride. Safe needs to be moved. Where? Away from Daytona and his boys, that's for sure. But also from Adam and his robot hottie. Is it even possible to get away from that guy? Did he plant some sort of tracking chip in my brain? Is that why I'm so damn foggy? Does he even have tracking chips? He's got a flying RV and an android on the happy side of the uncanny valley, so doesn't it kind of follow that he does? Hell, I could be leading him to the safe right now, and I'd probably never even know it. The sea lands on the golden oldies again, and I punch it. Some splashy ending, all symbols and junk on the toms. That was Johnny V and the Shandikins with their 1962 hit record, Why Would Anyone Listen to This? Fun fact, that record featured a B-side, we should probably stop recording. I punched the radio off. What? The music starts up again, and I hear it clear. That's the... What's the... I mutter and can't think of the word, even though I know the word I'm looking for is same. I snap my head around and check on the little snow globe in the back seat. I do a little math. It's just resting there, sitting there on the back seat, just like I remember leaving it. Turn back to the road. White lines tumble, mountains no closer, sky still pink. Clouds having a blast around a couple of peaks. Another mile marker shooting towards me. 45, I say. 45. Wah. Feeling fine. I am feeling fine. What a day for a drip. Blink. Bags rustle. Gas station junk food. Reminds me of that time I... Right. Combos, maybe. A box of Junior Mints lay on the inside console? We must have stopped. And I must have lost some more time, I suppose. While she eats and the bags rustle, I hear breathing. Rhythmic and regular. My special little lady. When did you get it? She asks. I told you all about that, honey. Don't you remember? I say. Right. Right. I smile. What's in it? She asks, without prompting me about what she's asking about. Snow. Right. Jesus. She caresses my hand. I let her. Just like before. What's so special about it? The snow globe, I mean. Better. Sounds of chewing. Speech totally clear. A little sloppy, but better. This and that, I say coyly. Like a coy little boy. I'm the coyest boy in Boysville, right, Adam? She dips her hand back in that little bag and pulls out more combos deepest bag of combos in human history. But there's got to be something, she says sexily. Ah, here we go. I turn to her and she's staring straight ahead. 
Let's end this, I say. It's a sundial. The snow globe, it's a sundial. If you find the right place to put it, it'll tell you where the safe is. What's in the safe? Who's the safe, I say. Where's the safe? Let's find out, I say. She says. You're so smart, I say. Oh, here I go. Back in the hole for me. Drink. Spoken like a true hairy chest. Hello, Eugenia. Taunting Reginald again, I see. How much longer are we planning to swim today? There's a lot of moving pieces, so McGrady and I need to get on land soon. McGrady and I? Curious. My work will be complete when McGrady tells the woman of his dreams the information I require, and I can get my hands on that safe. I understand why McGrady and the Veracruzes would want the safe, but what use is it to you? Oh, are you put out that the woman of his dreams wasn't you, Eugenia? What? I ask because you obviously have already missed vital information. The safe is not a what. It's a who. The safe is a who, and the snow globe is the key to finding them. Once McGrady specifies how and the name of the safe, it's as good as mine. And then we no longer need our friend McGrady. No longer need? Adam, I never would have brought McGrady to you if I thought he was in any danger. Adam stood next to a console, looking intently but excitedly, like a junkie for the ponies whose inside line was about to pay off. The room smelled of indoor water ride line cave. A specific smell, to say the least, but anyone who did time in Florida knows it by heart. Ghost stood her ground with as much strength as a woman in her undergarments with monstrous faces sewn into her skin standing in front of their malevolent creator could. Adam chuckled dismissively. You hardly brought him to me. So much as I know you so well, I knew exactly how to manipulate your plan and force you into my grasp. I'll admit McGrady was a more difficult mind to crack than I expected. But any second now, the name of the safe will print out here. Almost as if by sick theater, a fiendish device started whirring a death knell for McGrady. Ghost put her body between Adam and McGrady, hands behind her back. Reginald, prep the furnace. Mr. McGrady will be leaving our company shortly. Adam... Ghost said, almost pleading. Why destroy him? We, we might still need him. No. The fewer people who know me by more than name, the better. The safe contains blueprints for devices which are uniquely beneficial to me and disastrous for those whom I compete with. With this name... Adam tears the paper from its port. I don't need McGrady or anything else to achieve my goal. All I need is... Adam read the paper triumphantly. Amanda hug and kiss. 
Well, <coughs> coughed McGrady as he stood up, holding the sophisticated weapon Ghost slipped him in his hands moments ago. Two drinks in the right Rihanna song, and let's see what happens. 